And greetings, brethren, all around the world. It's very good to be able to speak to you like this on the last great day of the Feast of Tabernacles or the special feast right after the feast. So we're very grateful to be with you and thank you all for your love, your loyalty, the constant help you've been. I deeply remember the wonderful times my wife and I had with so many of you when we were in Cape Town, South Africa, and in Johannesburg, and in Perth, way off at the end of the world, in Australia, and other places where I was able to visit with you brethren. Thank you all for being part of the very church of God at the end of the age. God has certainly blessed us. He's opened our minds and hearts to the full truth, which the world does not understand. And we should be very grateful we do understand. And as the terrible things begin to happen around the world, and this society as we've known it begins to come apart, we should appreciate more than ever that we understand our plan, the real purpose that we have for life. But brethren, why are we here on this last great day, this extra day coming right after the Feast of Tabernacles? Why are we here? Because millennia ago, perhaps millions of years ago, two great spirit beings devised a plan. They worked out a plan to save every human being who was willing to be part of their family. For God wants everyone to be part of His family. God has made every one of you men and women in His image. He wants every person of every race, every background, everyone to be part of His family. God is not a respecter of persons. He loves every one of you, every one of us, and He does not want anyone to be left out. The world does not understand that. They don't get it because He has not opened their minds. We're not better than they are, but we do understand the plan of God through these very holy days. And we can deeply appreciate the fact that God used Mr. and Mrs. Herbert W. Armstrong to open our minds and hearts to understand the holy days, the purpose of God, the whole plan of God in the way that no other church on earth understands. Most of you know that, but we need to appreciate it. Very few people on this earth really understand the plan, and yet we can understand and we can kind of double check and see it working out through other prophecies in the Bible and other things that show that God is real, this Bible is inspired of the great God, and these things He said are going to happen have happened, things that have affected hundreds of millions of people. And God's plan is very important, it's very real, and it's important that we understand it. God did not want to leave anyone out, yet the world ministers are confused on this. They don't understand because God has blinded them. They do not understand. Yet God did reveal to Mr. Armstrong these basic truths, His master plan, and we're the only ones, the descendants of the church that God formed in this modern time through Mr. Armstrong to understand the plan of God. So let's understand, brethren, this important meaning of this great deity. What is the reason for this day? Turn with me, if you would, brethren, to 1 Peter, I'm sorry, to 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn with me in your own Bible to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, and let's turn to verse 8. God says here in the last letter Peter wrote, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, and we must not forget this one thing either, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. God counts time differently than we do. He thinks in terms of eons, of thousands of years, of millions of years. And we've got to learn to be like He is to understand His purpose. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. People wonder, why isn't God saving everyone now? Because He's not trying to. If God were trying to save everyone now, He would be doing it. We know that most of the world is confused. They don't believe what we believe. We must not get discouraged about that. This is not God's time of salvation to save everyone yet. Not yet, but He will. And that's the meaning of this last great day. He's not slack in reaching out, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all. Get this, brethren. God's Word tells us it's God's purpose that all should come to repentance. They're not all going to follow through, but at least God is going to bring them, convict them, so they should at least come to repentance or understand the basics of God. And so this holy day under, makes this clear and how that's going to work out. Turn now, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. Therefore, Paul wrote, I exhort 
first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. We're not to pray that God will convert all these world leaders. He's not going to do that. We know that. But we're to pray that God would guide them to preserve peace so we can serve God with reverence and fear. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men. Get it. God desires that all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The Greek word here is epignosis. It means the overview of the truth. They don't know every aspect of the truth, but he's going to at least bring everyone to a basic knowledge, an overview of the truth, and give them at least that much understanding if they're willing to accept it. God plans that. That's his purpose, and he has not even done that much yet because the vast majority of this world does not understand about the God of the Bible. They don't understand about his weekly Sabbath, his understanding of his annual Sabbath, none of those things. But he's going to bring them to an overview of his truth and his time to every human being. Let's turn now, if you would, to John, the book of John, chapter 6 in your Bible. And I'm going to read something I think many of you are familiar with. But turn to John chapter 6, and this is very important. Mr. Armstrong often emphasized this over and over because it seems like even many of God's people forget this. They get discouraged that their unconverted relatives aren't converted, that they're all alone wherever they are. God says here in John chapter 6 and verse 44, He inspired through Jesus Christ, No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up when? At the last day. So God is going to raise us up at the last day. We die, but he will raise us up. So brethren, no one can come to the Father. It's impossible. It's not their fault. They can't come unless God calls them. Turn over to verse 65, John 6, verse 65. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him of my Father. So it has to be granted by God the Father for people to understand, and God, otherwise they can't do it. They can't do it. And God is not reaching out to all the communist Chinese. He's not reaching out to all the Russians. He's not reaching out to the whole Muslim world, over one billion of them. They don't understand yet. And God is not trying to call them. And most of the world, over one billion people, the world of Catholicism, they don't understand. They have a totally different concept of God, and he's not trying to save them yet. But he will. Many of them are good people. They mean well, but God has not opened their minds. Yet remember, Jesus indicated that even the pagan nations of the past are going to be given a genuine opportunity. Turn back here to Matthew 11, if you would. Matthew chapter 11 in your Bible. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible. It's all right here. It's very clear. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 20, Jesus said, He began to upbraid the cities in which he'd done most of his mighty works because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre, that ancient pagan city, and in Sodom, or in Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. They did not have the chance. He said they would have repented, but they did not know. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, even those pagan cities, in the day of judgment. I won't read all the scriptures, but look it up in your concordance if you want to. Over and over in the New Testament, God talks about a day of judgment. And brethren, the word judgment comes from the Greek word anacrino, diacrino. Sometimes it means a, a conviction. Uh, and sometimes it means a time of testing. And you look it up in the concordances, the interlinears, and you'll find that. You'll find that it means that. It doesn't necessarily mean a time of condemnation, but a time of judgment, a time of testing. And so there is going to come a time like that for Tyre and Sidon. And you, Capernaum, verse 23, who are exalted to heaven, they thought they were very important, a very wealthy tourist town, you'll be brought down to Hades of the grave. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would remain till this day. Now that's a witness against God. 
if God is not going to give them a chance. But notice what Jesus said. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom. How's it going to be more tolerable for them that are going to burn in the lake of fire unless God gives them some kind of chance? The indication clearly is he is going to give them some kind of chance. It will be more tolerable even for those homosexuals, those perverts in Sodom, more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than for you because they did not understand. God was not trying to call them yet, but he will. So those are very clear scriptures and principles, and very few people have understood these things. Think about my friend Jimmy Mallet that I used to wrestle with and died of, a, of a, an accident that got me started. And I kept wondering, Jimmy and I were used to ride off to this dingle guy out in L.A. and had this sunrise and advertising about the wisdom of the East. We were trying to understand as teenage boys, what's the purpose of life? We couldn't find it in our church. We didn't find it from Dingle. We didn't find it from anyone like that. They did not understand, and we did not understand. We were seeking, we were seeking, and God let Jimmy go to sleep after a wrestling accident. I was kept on going, and I'm grateful for that. But when Jimmy's body was being lowered into that coffin and the grave and his coffin, I used to do that right after the funeral, it hit me. What's wrong? Why does God let Jimmy die? And Jimmy never understood. Well, he's going to understand. He's going to be given the same chance I did because I'm not better than him or better than anyone else. He's going to give everyone an opportunity. Notice in Matthew chapter 13 now, brethren. Notice in Matthew chapter 13 and beginning in verse 13. Jesus said, Speaking of these people that had been given the knowledge in the past, therefore I speak to them in parables, or he was talking about the people of the world here, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. The people in the world he was talking about didn't get it, nor do they understand. This is Matthew 13, now verse 14. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Here Isaiah prophesied, God inspired Isaiah centuries ago to say this hearing you will hear and shall not understand seeing you will see and not perceive and jesus is quoting that as applying to our time today for the heart of this people has grown dull their ears are hard of hearing their eyes they've closed that they should not see with their eyes or hear with their ears lest they should understand with their heart and turn so that i should heal them but blessed are your eyes he said i can say that to you brethren Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see. Jimmy Mallet and I desired to see those things back in 1942 and 43 and 4 as we were growing up in junior high and the Second World War was raging. What's going on? We could not understand. Most people down through times, the great philosophers, the great theologians, they have not been able to understand they desired to see it and did not see and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. God did not open the minds of these great philosophers, these theologians. God was not calling them yet. But in His mercy, He will give them a real opportunity in due time. And certainly this last great day uh, pictures that. So millions of the Jewish people are confused. Most of the Jewish people are not willing to listen to the truth. Why? Because they think there's no real God. Why did God let a million of Jews die in the Holocaust, they think? Was God way off? No, God allowed that because they were not obeying Him and He allows all human beings to go through trials and tests. Why did God allow all those people to die in the Titanic when it went down? The Lusitania, the big ship just went right down and here were people praying and crying out to God. Those people were not obeying God's commandments. We know that. So God allows time and chance to happen to carnal people. He doesn't just reach down and punish them specifically, but He allows it because they are not being called yet. And every human being of every race, every religion, every background has to come to understand apart from God, all kinds of things are going to happen. But the time is coming when God is going to call and then there will be no more Titanic sinkings, no more Lusitanias going down. No more World War I's, no more World War II's where six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. 
God will not allow that kind of thing once Christ's feet are back on this earth. But God does not call most of those people yet. He is allowing things to happen to them, sometimes because of their sins, of course, but sometimes just in general. Notice Mark, chapter 6, brethren. Turn to the Gospel of Mark, and let's turn at this point to chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6, and beginning here in verse 10. Jesus said to His disciples, And whatever place you enter, stay there until you depart from that place, as they were to go out and preach. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust from under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I to say to you, get this, brethren, Jesus said, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, Christ repeats this, even for the most rotten sinners of all, people like those in Sodom and Gomorrah will be more tolerable when in the day of judgment than for that city because they had a certain chance. But these people in Sodom and Gomorrah had no chance. God was not trying to call people back at that time except a very few prophets he called out. So it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah and God is going to give those people an opportunity. God is fair. He is going to open the minds of every human being. It is not his will that anyone perish apart from at least knowing the overview of the truth as we read back in 1 Timothy 2. He is fair, and so there will be no second chance, but a first genuine, a real first chance where people really understand, a genuine first chance they've never had. Notice now, let's go to Revelation chapter 19, brethren. Turn in your New Testament to Revelation chapter 19. Here it's picturing Christ's second coming and the time just before he comes back. Many of you know about the background of Revelation, so you know right where we are. Here's the final battle coming where Satan is put down. He says in verse 19, Revelation 19, verse 19, I saw the beast, this coming great military Hitler dictator guy, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his armies. Can we begin to believe it? That people will fight Christ? They're that blinded. This world does not get it at all. These Catholics and Protestants out there, they mean well. They don't get it. There will be hundreds of millions of them fighting Christ when he comes because they won't know who he is. Then the beast was captured, this coming Hitler, and with him the great false prophet, this great false religious leader that will be arising soon who works signs in his presence. He's going to deceive people. He's going to bring fire down from heaven. Will you be deceived? God help you. Follow the Bible. Prove the Bible. Know that God is real. This book is real. These things do happen just like God said. And so he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. They're going to be forced into breaking the Sabbath and keep the day of the mark of the beast. And those who worshiped his image, this whole religious system, these two, the beast and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. They'll seem to be way ahead. Some of you will follow them. I'm afraid some of you will fall away. I know that. I taught thousands of students and many of them left the church. It hurts me powerfully. God help all of you to understand. These holy days give you the very purpose of God. Understand it. Prove it. Never give it up. Never, ever turn aside. Appreciate the truth. We have it. We're the only ones that understand these basic things. And we can be very grateful for that. So these, these men are going to come out ahead over the next several years. It will seem, but their victory is short-lived. They will then be cast alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the throne. Christ is going to destroy them, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Their armies will be eaten up by the, by the vultures and the carrion that are going to come down and eat their flesh. So right after that, that final battle, chapter 20, Revelation 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and on his chain, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. So Satan is finally grabbed here and bound him for a thousand years. So Satan is bound. He can't deceive people anymore. What a world it's going to be then when people aren't deceived. They're all not mixed up. 
and Satan does not come pounding his wrong ideas into their heads. For 1,000 years there will be a kind of peace the world has ever known and Satan is banished. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. Satan will be bound. He will be unable to deceive the nations for that thousand years till the thousand years were finished. But after that, he's loose for a little season, a short while. And I saw thrones, John writes, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls who had been beheaded. They may introduce beheading again. Christians have had their heads chopped off down through time. There's a little hint of this. Who knows what's ahead? We have to trust God even if we have to go to our death. Prove God. Don't be willing to give up. Be willing to prove God even unto death. But prove it where you know and know that you know, brethren. So those that were beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark were not forced in this Sunday keeping, had not received his mark in their forwards or on their hands. And they lived and reigned, it says, here for a thousand years. These true saints of God are going to live and reign for a thousand years. That's many of us. I hope all of us. But the rest of the dead, who are the rest of the dead that have died, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. So the rest of the dead come up. This is an important verse or part of the verse because men divided these chapters into verses and they didn't always do it the right way. This first part of verse 5 stands by itself. Sort of an interpolation here just for this part. The rest of the dead did not live again until after the millennium. What's happening after the millennium? Of course, he then goes back to the main theme. This is the first resurrection talking about those who were resurrected. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. If there's a first resurrection, and God uses that terminology, is there a second resurrection? Yes, we'll see. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, all of us in this age, and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's our job. We're training to be the leaders, the kings and priests, to help people, to teach them to encourage them, to build them for a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. So Satan is finally let out after a thousand years. And what happens then? Something else goes on even after the millennium. He will go out to deceive the nations. You think after a thousand years of the truth, people would love the truth, they'd appreciate it. Human beings are awful. It's terrible, brethren, unless you seek God. You, my friends, have got to learn to seek the God of the Bible, to study this book, to drink in of it, to want God's way. Even after the millennium, people are going to be deceived quickly. Once Satan is let out there, it's going to be more exciting to commit adultery, more exciting to commit adultery, more exciting to get drunk, more exciting to do bad things, to believe crazy stuff. Why? Because human nature is awful apart from God. So they will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. And this indicates the people we know of the area we call Russia together. Together them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. Hundreds of millions of them. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. They're going to come right up to Jerusalem and the beloved, the beloved city. And fire comes down. So God's not going to let these things go on and on like he does in this age. Right away, fire comes down from heaven and devours them. And it's going to crush them and burn them, these armies that try to hurt his people. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are, or as it can be warded, were cast. They were cast there. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. God is not going to let the devil go back up again. Then... After all that, after that brief period when Satan deceives the nations one last time and God gives the human beings and even the angels one last witness, this is what can happen when the devil is out. This is how weak you are. One last testing period. Then I saw the great white throne. Here's the time pictured today. And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, 
and there was found no place for them, a great wonderful throne, the final judgment of God. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. <clears throat> dead people don't stand up. Most of you know that, unless there is a resurrection. So this is that second resurrection that is hinted of back here earlier in verse 5. The next resurrection. So the dead standing before God, and the books were open. And the Greek word is biblos. And, of course, that very expression in the Greek means the books of the Bible. So the books of the Bible, the correct number is 49. We have in the King James Version 66. But the books of the Bible are open to their mind. They are finally given an opportunity to understand. The books of the Bible are open to them. Biblos, they were opened. And then another book, not these books, but another book is open to them. And that is the book of life. They had not yet had an opportunity, clearly indicated right here, get it. It indicates right here the book of life is finally open to them. They're not having a second opportunity to have their name written in the book of life. This is their first and only opportunity. The book of life was open to them. And they're to be judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. They're judged by the words of God. And so there is a period of time called the great white throne judgment during which they're given an opportunity to do a study to drink in of and to understand the books of the Bible. Their mind is opened finally in the great white throne judgment and they're judged according to the things written in the books, not some other idea. I know some of the Protestant and Catholic theologians say, well, God will judge everybody if they just do according to the best they understand as though there's some other way. There is no other way. The only way is through Jesus Christ and the teachings of Christ in the Bible and Christ living his life in us. As the Apostle Paul was inspired to tell us, he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. It's not the old Paul, the old selfish self, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, Paul said. That's the key to Christianity. Christ will live in you the same life he lived on this earth. Hebrews 13, verse 8 tells us Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll keep the same Sabbaths. He'll keep the whole same holy days. He'll obey the same commandments. He'll live that same way of life. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live according to the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ must live his life in us. There's not some other way the Chinese are not going to be judged according to what they understood by Confucius or the Indians by what he understood through Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva or other people with their other ideas. They're going to be judged by the words of this book, the Bible. And the books of the Bible are open to their minds finally. So they're judged each one according to their works. Are they judged, brethren, according to the works they did back in this life? No. Otherwise, they'd be guilty. There's a period of time we feel it's probably a hundred years, but we're not. that's not some major doctrine of salvation, but a period of time, as I'll explain, possibly a hundred years when they're alive and they're given an opportunity to really study and to understand and obey this way of life in these books, the books of the Bible. Another book is opened, the book of life, of course, as they obey what's here, but they're judged according to the works they did back in their previous life, not according to those works, I should say, Otherwise, they'd all be guilty. They're judged according to the works they do after they have understood the books of this Bible. They're judged each one according to his work. Then death and Hades, finally all those who remain, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So those who are still dead, those who have come under death during that time, they are cast into the lake of fire. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There is another opportunity to understand the books of the Bible and to have these people's names written in the book of life, God's record of those who are going to receive eternal life. So I think I've made that plain, and I hope you really understand that. And even though you've understood it before, hopefully you can understand a little better so you can explain it to others. God is not giving people a second or third chance, but he gives everyone every human being, a genuine opportunity to really understand the Bible, to know the truth, and to be part of his kingdom, to be in the second resurrection, to be resurrected and given a chance to know the truth 
and be members of the family of God because God is reproducing himself. He's not going to let people sneak up some other way. He has to do it through Christ living his life in you. True Christianity. But they're giving an opportunity finally to understand, to genuinely understand what true Christianity is all about. Now, brethren, one other thing I want to cover with you at this point, And notice, if you would, back here in Isaiah 65, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 37, before we go there. Turn back to Ezekiel 37. And I want to explain this aspect of things to you in Ezekiel chapter 37 and beginning in verse 1. God says, or Ezekiel writes, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. So Ezekiel in this fantastic vision was taken to the valley of dry bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, they were many, and they, indeed they were very dry, all shriveled up bones. And he said, Son of man, can these bones live? And he answered, O Lord God, you know, Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. He said, Surely I will breathe life into you and you shall live. So here is a magnificent resurrection of the dead to hundreds of millions of human beings, these dry bones. I will put sinews on you. These bones have been shriveled up. These people have been dead for centuries. I will put sinews on you, muscles and so on on you, and bring flesh upon you cover you with skin and breathe into you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the ever-living one. Very few people know the true God. They're going to know at that time. So I prophesied as I was commanded and I, there was a noise and suddenly rattling and bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews of flesh came upon them and the skin covered them for there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, say to the breath, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So God put flesh and muscle back on these bones. Then he breathed the breath of life into their lungs again, these human beings, and they begin to live. So I prophesied, and they lived, and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. Millions of people, hundreds of millions, who were these people? Brethren, most of you know, and I don't have time to go off on a sermonette on this, but God shows that Israel is a type of the whole world. God is not a respecter of persons, he says over and over. What God allowed for the peoples of Israel, he's going to allow for the whole world. He loves every human being. So this is a type of what's going to happen to everybody. He said, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They're going to be given a chance to know the truth as they did not know it today. Many of you are, have the house of Israel, the descendants of the ancient tribes of Israel living today in the British Isles and in Canada and Australia, New Zealand and South Africa and elsewhere. You're descended from those people and these people in the United States. And these are our relatives, our ancestors. They're going to come up. Most of them never had an opportunity. They didn't get it. God was not calling old Uncle Zeke, <laughs> some of our carnal relatives. We loved them. My old Methodist grandmother was a wonderful old lady. She was very sincere, but God did not call her. They're going to come up. They're going to say, there are a, lot, a lot of them will feel very guilty. Some of my old Uncle Zeke may have been a drunkard. You know, he'll say, my, our bones are dry, our hope is cut off, we're cut off. They're going to come feel, feel very guilty as they come up, knowing they have not obeyed God, the vast majority of them. Therefore prophesy, Behold, O my people, the peoples of Israel and the whole peoples of the entire world, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. So he's going to bring them back. Then you shall know that I am the eternal when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. I will put my spirit. They've never had God's spirit before, obviously. They have not had a genuine chance before. They may have been good people in the worldly churches, but they had not been called of God. They didn't get it. Wasn't their fault. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the ever-living one, and has spoken to you and performed it, says the Eternal. So God is going to give every human being, starting with Israel, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, as God explains, an opportunity to know the full truth why they were born, 
why God is trying and testing us, why God allows bad things to happen, why God allowed the Titanic to sink, why God allowed Jimmy to die, why God allowed some of your people to die in accidents, or some of you Jewish have relatives who died in the Holocaust. Why? This understanding helps us understand why. God has allowed this world to go its own way to learn lessons through human suffering, or to write those lessons at least, in human suffering for 6,000 years. At the end of that time, he's going to call people in the millennium and teach them, and then this time after the millennium, those who had lived and died and never known the truth, he'll bring them up again, and they will learn the lessons that they wrote in human suffering for 6,000 years, and they will understand that the way of man is not right. There is a great God, and that God will intervene and work out this plan and give them a genuine opportunity a magnificent opportunity that they never had before. Turn now, if you would, to Isaiah 65 and beginning in verse 17. Isaiah, brethren, chapter 65 and beginning in verse 17. I want to give you the setting here. And again, this is not a basic doctrine of the church. Some may have presented it as though it's some great doctrine of salvation. It's not. But the indication is strongly, as Mr. Armstrong said, as we feel too, is that this is talking about a time just before the coming great white throne judgment, just before the new heavens and the earth, when Isaiah is looking forward to that and describing this time after the millennium, just before the new heavens and the new earth. He says in verse 17 of Isaiah 65, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. What happens just before that? The great white throne judgment. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. So he's looking forward here to the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, and this time just before that. No more shall an infant from there live out a few days, or live but a few days. Little children are not going to die during this time. During the millennium they will die, but during this time they'll not be cut short. Nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. Even an old man has to live out a certain period of time to have a full opportunity. He may be 95 or 105 when he's resurrected, or have lived previously that period of time, but he's got to be living long enough during this time to where God can be sure where he stands. He wants to know where he stands. He wants to know where you stand and I stand. He's going to give each one an opportunity to fully understand the truth and to know God and act on that knowledge. Then he'll be judged according to the books of this Bible when he understands. For the child shall die 100 years old. If a child is born at the beginning of the great white throne judgment, he'll have a hundred years to be tested. But the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed if he continues at that time. They shall build houses and inhabit them. Now this confuses people because it sounds like the millennium. Well, it's going to be very much like the millennium because it comes right after that and they're going to have many of the same things. They'll plant vineyards, yes, during that hundred year period and they'll have children and my elect shall enjoy the work of their hands. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain or bring forth children for trouble. Frankly, they're not going to bring forth children at all during that time, for there has to be a time when the wombs of the women are closed and they cannot bear children anymore. God will stop that process, for they shall be descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. You say, how can they have offspring? Well, they will have had offspring already, and those offspring will come up again. In other words, if I were unconverted and die, then I would be up there in the great white throne children perhaps with my children and grandchildren, and now I even have great-grandchildren, and they would be there. They will be there and their offspring with them. Billions of people all around this earth who have never understood will be there, and they will be given, though, this time, a genuine opportunity to know God, to know the Bible, to know the purpose of life, an opportunity to know the full truth which they never understood before. Never, never, ever. God is fair. God is love. God wants every single human being to understand why he is here on this earth, what is the purpose of life. 
So God is going to give them that opportunity, brethren, and the world does not understand that. They don't get it. And yet when you read all these scriptures together, you can't explain those verses where Jesus said Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be given an opportunity. They're going to have more of an opportunity than others because they are not called yet, or they were not called. They're going to be more of an opportunity for them in the judgment than even the modern cities of Tyre and Sidon or let's say Capernaum and others that were there in Christ's time. He preached to them. They still didn't understand. And frankly, many of them will be given an opportunity too because they were blinded, as these other scriptures show. But they will have an extra degree of guilt having known part of the truth. So God is fair. Everyone is given a genuine opportunity through Jesus Christ and his salvation to really know the truth. Thank God. Thank God for his judgment. Thank God for his mercy. Thanks for the big picture that God helps us understand. Turn back to Romans now, if you would. Romans 11 in your New Testament. Romans chapter 11, brethren. And notice what God tells us right here in Romans. And I'm going to turn to Romans 11 in your New Testament and beginning in verse 25. Romans 11:25. He says here, talking about how the Jews are grafted right back into the good tree. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that you should be ignorant in, of the mystery lest you be wise in your own opinions. God is not letting people go ahead once he's called them to have their own opinions and be wrong. And the, that the hardening of, in part, has happened to Israel. Understand that God has allowed the Israeli people, the people of all Israel, not just the Israelis, to be blinded. Hardening of the heart until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. He's going to open in the New Testament time an opportunity for many millions of others to come in. And so all Israel will be saved, finally, all Israel. The vast majority, when they have the opportunity of the ten so-called lost ten tribes and of the Jewish people, they'll understand. They'll obey God when they understand. They have not understood. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So he's going to give them a chance. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake because the Jews were really persecuting the early Christians. But concerning the election, they are beloved. God loves the Jewish people. They were the main ones to preserve the Old Testament. They were the main ones to preserve the oracles of God. They haven't always obeyed them, but God used them in many ways to bring forth the Messiah. King David will be king over all Israel. Who is he? A Jew. God loves those people. They are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are without, are irrevocable. Once he's called someone to something, he doesn't change his mind. He's used them. He's going to use the modern peoples of Israel today as he has to help the other nations. And now he's bringing us down because we have not been the example we ought to be. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God and have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, God has let them fall away and you Gentiles are allowed to come in, Paul says. Even so, these also have been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, that same kind of mercy, they also may obtain mercy. God will give them a genuine chance. For God has committed them all to disobedience. All the Jewish people and frankly the vast majority of the peoples of Israel and every peoples on earth that he may have mercy on all. He lets each one go its own way for a while. Oh, the depth and riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. We couldn't have understood this plan. God lets the world go their own way for 6,000 years. Finally begins to open their minds. Finally bring them all back. Gives them a chance during the millennium. Everyone human is still living. But then he comes back even after the millennium and gives everyone a real opportunity they had never had before. Wow, what a magnificent truth. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who has been, first been given to him and it shall be repaid to him? Who can understand God's mind and his greatness? For in him, for of him and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
He works all things out according to his wisdom, a magnificent plan that this church of God understands and the world does not understand. We must deeply appreciate, meditate on it, and make our calling and election sure because, brethren, I'll tell you, I'm not going to be given a second chance. I want you all to think about it. I'm putting my life on the line here, but it is anyway. I'm not going to be given a second chance. I know the truth, and many of you know the truth. Don't let your calling and election be taken away from you. Make your calling and election sure. Obey God with all your heart. Appreciate His wonderful gift to you by calling you now to be in the first resurrection, the better resurrection, as it's called. You have a magnificent opportunity. Others are going to come up later. But let's appreciate what we know now. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance, so He's not going to give you another chance later. We need to really appreciate the message of these holy days, the magnificent plan of God. Turn now, if you would, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, brethren. 1 Corinthians and I'm going to be turning at this point to chapter 15, the resurrection chapter, as we call it. Paul wrote, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. All of us in this age are not going to die. Some of you will live right on to Christ's second coming and be suddenly changed from flesh into spirit, from human into divine. Wow. And God's purpose will be carried out in that way on those who live right to Christ's coming. But we, and many of you older brethren, will die. I may die before Christ comes back. I'm already 84 years old. If I die, I don't want any one of you to fall away. God is not dependent upon me at all. I'm dependent upon God. And God has given me now already 14 years past what King David lived. And King David was old and full of days at age 70, and I'm already 84. So let's understand God's purpose. Let's carry on. You carry on. All of us must carry on as long as we're here. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, that final trumpet's going to sound, and people are going to sing, lift off, lift off. Boy, that's going to be an exciting time, and we should look forward to that because we're all going to experience that. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who may die first are going to come up maybe a few seconds or a few minutes or a few hours ahead of time because we've had to go to sleep a little bit before and maybe only seconds before as God counts time. But anyway, they'll be resurrected first. So it, 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 in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we, Paul indicates he still felt it was going to be him too, but we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. We can't enter God's kingdom in our human flesh. This mortal must point immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. Boy, that's going to be wonderful when our relatives who've died are going to be resurrected. And others will be resurrected, of course, later on in the great white throne judgment. They'll come up out of that grave. Nothing will hold them. God is real. Just as these big prophecies of the coming United States of Europe, of America going down in Britain through all our sins, through our turning away from God, men marrying men, all the other rotten abominations that are happening today, God is going to intervene. He's going to say, enough. And pull the plug. And as we see these things happening in the world, just like God said, we're going to see this happen. The dead will rise again. Christ will come. His feet will be on this earth in a few years. God speed that day. Let us understand. Let us never forget that. And let's have our faith and trust in the great God who tells us these things. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? No victory in the grave. The grave does not triumph. God triumphs. If we give our lives to God, Christ will live his life within us and we will achieve the victory. We will make it into the first resurrection, the better resurrection. We must do that with all of our hearts. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. That's what puts sin as power. We come under that if we break God's law. But it shows the law is still there, by the way. The law can't hurt you unless it's alive. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And He's not just a dead Christ. He gives us the victory not just by His death, but by living His life in us. Christ lives in me, Paul said. We've got to have the victory through that because we've got to yield to that, to walk with God, talk with God, commune with God, drink into this book, feed on God, feed on Christ, and let Christ live His life in us. That's the key. Then we will make it into this first resurrection. Death is swallowed up in victory. The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin in the law. So who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ living in us? Therefore, my beloved brethren, and I tell you the same thing, my beloved brethren, thank you for your love, your help, your support for God's work. Please pray fervently for the work. We've got to get this message to the world, the message of the true purpose of human existence. There are very few of us who understand it. God help us to get it out. So stand, be steadfast in the Lord, immovable, always abounding. Paul's last words here talking about the resurrection, always abounding in the work. We've got to be doing that while we're here, abounding in the work. Give everything you can. Go above and beyond. Give sacrificially. Don't be afraid to give to God. He's given to you, abounding in the work, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You are going to be made a spirit being in the very family of God. And your loved ones and your departed relatives of the past are going to be given the, not a second chance, but a first chance. And all these people around the world that we read about, people in China and India and these other nations, they don't know. It's not their fault. God has not called them yet. He did not call Uncle Zeke or Aunt Emma or the ones who may have had problems or being alcoholic or whatever. They did not understand. They're going to be given a chance. God is love. He wants every one of us to be in His family. So let's deeply appreciate, let's make our calling and election sure. Let's give our lives to God with a passion and put our faith and trust in God and walk with God and walk with Christ with all of our hearts and put our, be abounding in this work of God with all of our hearts, getting this message to the world. And let's give our lives to God now and forever. Thank you, brethren, for your love. Thank you for being here for the Feast of Tabernacles. We can thank God. It helps us. It doesn't help God. In that sense, it helps us. But I thank you for your part. Let's love each other, pray for each other, and keep going forward to the kingdom of God and the unity that God has given us. Thank God for that unity. Let's never give up. Let's give our lives to God and walk with God and walk with Christ forever.